So, Austin, uh, tell us about Gears Pop. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? That's the phone one that you keep playing, so, right? So, like, yeah. Pop I saw you playing Gears Pop on Xbox Live the other day, yeah. and I was about to send you a message calling you a coward. I was, I was Wait, playing... it's on Xbox? So you log in with X, your Xbox oh, Live. Okay, Does it all on talk? The phone? Huh? Does yeah. it all talk? So Matt was playing... I thought Pop figures my, couldn't my talk. My roommate, Matt, was playing uh, Resident Evil on the TV, and I was playing Gears Pop and watching him, and I got an achievement, and it popped up on the Xbox. <laughs> and it was like, play ten times with Marcus Phoenix or whatever, and Matt's just like... <laughs> I'm playing Resident Evil. I don't get it. And it was like, I had to like admit, I was like, I'm playing Gears Pop. It was like when your mom catches you masturbating. <laughs> Wait, is that uh, how that ends? That scenario ends? Is you just, I was masturbating. <laughs> like, yeah. You ever play Clash Royale? No. So it's it's like, it's like a really good game. It's like that. But like completely, <laughs> utterly ruined by microtransactions. Like it is the most pay-to-win thing ever. That ruins it more than the pop figures? Because you can level up your little pop, you can level it up your little pop vinyls, uh-huh. and then they do more damage and have more health, but you could just buy the things to level them up. What is the game? What do you do? Okay, so the way it works is you have a base at each side of the screen. Your base is on the bottom and their base is on the top. And then there's pieces of cover along the way. And you have power that's slowly building. It's like mana. And then you drag and drop pop vinyls onto the thing. And then they run forward and kill whatever's in their path. And it's basically just like... So it's like Plants vs. Zombies. Trying to overwhelm the... Yeah, it's like they multiplayer Plants vs. Zombies. The Last of Us 2 this year. Yeah. <laughs> A sequel that looks incredible to one of the most incredible narrative and gameplay driven games I've ever played in my life. Yeah. And you're fucking explaining to me <laughs> Gears Pop. Yeah, because what, what else am I supposed to play from now to when Last of Us comes out? Borderlands. Does it still have. It's not out. Does it yeah. still have, uh, like, gore in it? No. So when you when you win, do they explode into Legos? No. When you win, they that your your guys both hop over cover and they meet in the middle and they go to chainsaw each other. But then the whoever lost their pop vinyl just vibrates and then their head goes and pops off. Wait. Yeah, they were gonna. And then it rolls around. You no. can't you can't pop the head off a pop vinyl. No, I've but tried. you can if you beat it in Gears Pop. Oh. No, literally. <laughs> all right, they hop over the walls and they go to chainsaw each other, and then boom, it flashes to a live leak video of some guy's head getting cut off. <laughs> now that's the kind of game I'm trying to play. Listen, does the game still scream like fuck and shit out no. of your phone? That'd be pretty funny. Uh, uh, I'm playing Gears Pop and you hear Dombey like the oh, voice actors are still in it, but they're like chipmunk. Uh, oh, no. like it Animal up. Crossing. No, but more. But John DiMaggio is still in it's it. It's like pitch shifted up. Yeah. <laughs> Because he's a pop vinyl. That's adorable. Listen, <laughs> yeah, pop vinyls are known for their high-pitched voices. Listen, I, <laughs> that is the biggest number thing. Number one, I hate pop vinyls. Then what the yes. fuck? A lot. Great, yeah. there's half our audience. <laughs> but I'm at sorry, the same time... You must also hate like GameStop. Uh, I do. I really do. <clears throat> mm-hmm. oh, I think we unanimously hate GameStop yeah. here. <laughs> but, I like uh, their t-shirts. But the problem <laughs> is that... I am an idiot where if anybody has a good <laughs> if anybody has a good idea for a game let's get and, that and let's get like, that sound bite. If anybody has a good idea for a game and they're like like if somebody comes out with a fighting game 
mm-hmm. and it's like amazing. But I don't recognize the characters. I'm not gonna buy you it. Know, I, yeah, but I then if Street Fighter Six comes out and it's that exact same thing but worse, but it has Ryu in it, I'll buy that one because <laughs> yeah, I'm dumb. I get it. Yeah. So like, Clash Royale is dragons and people with swords <laughs> and shit, and it's made by the Clash of Clans people, and it's stupid. But Gears Pop, like, I know who Marcus Phoenix is. I also played the Command and Conquer game, which was the same thing. And I love Command and Conquer. Yeah, so you should play that. No, it's not. It's just just subscribe. Just give in to capitalism in the world. <laughs> You'll be much more sad. All right. <laughs> With that. <laughs> yeah, that'd be... Wow. Right. So we've covered some of the most celebrated video games and consoles ever to grace this fine industry here on our show. But very rarely do we get... Like the Ouya. Like the Ouya. <laughs> um, and Gears Pop. <laughs> but very rarely do we get deep into the actual history of a single particular individual and their personal venture with the studio that has been responsible for making them. Part of that reason is because some of those revered artists credited for their successes can also come with a bit of nefarious baggage as well. Well, mm. uh, and what finer example of this is there out there in the world of modern video games than the unfortunately named Randy Pitchford, uh, an undeniably important, fun. albeit severely problematic <laughs> man who is technically both directly and indirectly accountable for giving us some of the most influential shooters ever to break into the medium, as well as some of the biggest, most laughable, colossal failures, too. <laughs> And many within only years of each other, Half-Life to Alien, Colonial Marines, Borderlands to Battleborn, Brothers in Arms to fucking Duke Nukem Forever, Company Gearbox seems to exclusively only dabble in the extremes, and we're here to lay down the tell-all story. I'm Randall Beatrice, here with Austin Blakesley, yeah, yeah. Chris Anantuano, it's me, <laughs> and our recurring guest, Melanie Greer. By my bathwater. <laughs> recurring? Yeah, she was, was on, on the, the commentary. commentary. Oh, yeah. yeah that's why right. I, uh, I was going to ask how you've been since the amazing uh, Super Mario Brothers movie. Uh, I'm honestly shocked you came back because I don't think I could get Chelsea to, to come back to this room again if I tried. Yeah, Jason <laughs> hasn't been here for weeks and he's part of the podcast. Is that because of- um, Here's the thing. I'm terribly insecure, so just the fact that you think I have something to say on any subject, I'm like, yeah, I'll talk to you about whatever for however long. You are the official Borderlands expert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was, that hard, for you? Was that hard for you to get out? Um, see, the alcohol I'm drinking has a lot of sugar in it, <laughs> so when you don't drink it right, it hurts your big, your big talk hole. <laughs> <laughs> no, I uh, listened to you drone on. Uh, that's maybe not the best words, but maybe, maybe right. arguably the best words about Borderlands forever. So I don't think the, right, the word you're looking for is manifesto. So he keeps he keeps saying he's trying to not get me tooed on this and then he just keeps you know digging himself deeper <laughs> but yeah tell us all about uh randy <laughs> this is yeah, i'm so oh, excited it's, it's gonna word. be my favorite episode because i get to talk shit on randy he doesn't know which randy i'm talking about <laughs> i'm the one that's um, not a pervert i specifically refer to him as pitchford in my script every time so i didn't I get it, it confused no it with was you. bitchford is what the no that's the title oh. of the script okay. that's um I think that we should refer to him as Duval Magic because clearly that's what he wants to be doing right now. <laughs> was that his alias? Does that's he have his a Twitter handle. That's oh, still his Twitter okay. handle. Yeah. I was yeah, going to ask if he had a magician stage name. Um, <laughs> I don't know. So, <laughs> probably Duval. A couple of things up front. Number one, all things go right. This should be coming out 
on the launch day of Borderlands 3. Yes. Which, oh, what, yeah. what better way to... Uh, yeah, we are yeah. all very excited for it. Yeah, despite what we're about to talk about that. press. Yeah, listen, yeah. listen to this while you're playing your looter shooter. It's cool. This is actually... This is our four-player co-op yeah. that we're ready for. <laughs> yes. Like, I want to be the is... guy that gets Randy Pitchford mad enough to add us. Yeah, right? <laughs> that would, yeah, that would do yeah, us Randy, wonders. if you're listening, DM me. Yeah, yeah I mean, we are <laughs> open to interview you and, and have, you know... I'm just you kidding. You set the record straight on all of this. I don't want to be intentionally antagonistic. Let's just no. tell the facts. No. This is the, this in, is the in facts. Fact, in fact, we, uh, I, I almost oh, brought, I wow. brought this up earlier. I know that me and you watched it, Chris. Austin, I assume you watched it as well, but Daniel Dwyer's No Clip documentary on the Half-Life yeah. series has a lot of interviews with Randy Pitchford in it. And it's funny because, like, just from watching that, they're incredibly sincere. Yeah, and, if you were to uh, just uh, watch that and that would be the only thing you knew about him, you'd be like, yeah, oh, cool. And he kind of got dicked over. Me, like, you me, know, and, like, me and Melanie it's, talked about this. It's complicated. It's, He's a complicated person. He is very good at what he does. Oh, yeah. yeah. But he knows it. He is a figurehead. He is a figurehead, and he knows how good he is at it, and he he can let that get in the way sometimes and sort of tell people off, but he is very good, and a lot of good games and that company would not exist were it not for him. Right. Like, I, I am the biggest... Like, I'm a huge fan, obviously, of the Borderlands series because it's the only game besides Animal Crossing I really play. But They're very similar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they are, yeah. My two, my two was personalities. Was Three Nuts an Animal Crossing character or was that a Borderlands character? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, I'm watching... You're trying the, to get all the guns to pay off your mortgage for your house. <laughs> the thing about Randy Pitchford is that, like, he's a very talented programmer, game designer, figurehead for Gearbox... Magician? All of that, but all of that, all of that ego, and all of that. Oh, he's kind of the definition of it, yeah. right? All of that positive <clears throat> praise goes to every aspect of his personality and every aspect of but who like, he is. is it, he's got the right is to gloat sometimes. Yeah, not really. Yeah. It's it's somewhat deserved. Video games are a collaborative thing. Yes. It, it, I think Austin, you told me to watch a video the other day that not to you know, completely just like, you know, recommend or reference somebody else's YouTube channel. Uh, you told me about the H-Bomber Guy's video about director. Yeah, uh, I will absolutely cuts. promo H-Bomber Guy's yeah, fucking and, incredible. Watch and that all video is great because it talks about how, it, it was just basically like when did that become, like to us like a director was just the only person responsible for giving us like yeah. an entire yeah, film, film yeah. like a whole project when in reality it's so many people. All right. so, yeah, let's get into um, it. Yeah. So where did he come one, from? One more thing up front. Okay. I wrote this script. I started out thinking this was going to be one episode. My script is like 14 pages long. So this is going to be a two-parter. So part one is actually not going to be as much about Randy Pitchford himself. It'll be more about him founding Gearbox with a couple other people, and then Gearbox's ascent, and then Borderlands, and then next week we're probably going to get into... Randy Pitchford's antics himself. Oh man, and, there's a lot. Yeah. So we spent a lot of time. I, I scroll. I scroll through this thing. It's just a link to just every single instance of something dumb that he yeah. got himself involved with. It's yeah. yeah. It's, so, it's extensive. That's what I've been watching all day. I'm just like, all right, <laughs> I'm ready. We're gonna start mm-hmm. with a little bit of a backstory on Randy Pitchford himself. Randy Pitchford began programming when he was five. In an interview, inarguably very impressive. (laughs) He described his dad as working for the back then equivalent of the NSA. Yeah. And as like the Q for America. You know, James Bond's Q? 
Like, he apparently oh, yeah. designed, like, spy yeah. gadgets and computers and shit. He straight <laughs> up says ass. in that IGN interview, my dad was a spy, but, like, the not the cool kind, the Q kind. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, All like, right. apparently his dad would bring home computers and stuff that he made at work and designed, and he would give them to Randy Pitchford, and that's how he got real into programming. Okay. He wrote his first game, which was a text adventure, when he was around 11 or 12 years old. There's different reports yes. on that. And then he took on the persona, Zero Cool. And then he <laughs> got no more hackers. hackers yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if you know this or this is in your script, but he, he came from a considerably wealthy or like yes. family as yes. well, right? Well, his dad, dad worked for the government, spy. yes. Uh, oh, okay. does, it, does being a spy pay super well? Like, when it's for the government, yeah. yeah. They okay. pay them very well because they're usually not alive for very long. Yeah. <laughs> okay. um, but yeah. programming was not Pitchford's only love when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. You see, Randy Pitchford is also the nephew of someone named Richard Valentine Pitchford, better known by the stage name Cardini. Uh, not like, the great Cardini? He, yeah, the great Cardini. Oh, okay. Yeah, he, he, was, a, he okay. was like a World War II era magician who was very I've actually famous. Heard, yeah, yeah, I've, I've actually yes. heard um, yeah. So he hasn't uh, let that go at all. Yeah. He... Cardini died when Randy Pitchford was only two, but his aunt, who was married to Cardini, used to tell him stories, and that inspired him to take up magic at a very early age. He's been doing it for a long time. He's been doing it for and, a and very long time. And we've seen him perform yes. magic live. Yes. Um, He's a musician. Uh, uh, so magician. And also I... a musician. Is he a musician yeah. as well? Yeah, he is also He a looks musician. like Josh Homme from Queens of the Stone Age. He does. <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen him videos of him like playing guitar and stuff. He's actually okay. pretty good at that, too. Oh. Yeah, I watched him play guitar in his house earlier when he was uh, plugging that NVIDIA thing. The controller, the NVIDIA oh, controller. Yeah. Oh, the okay. yeah, it was like called. a Cribs-style tour of Randy Pitchford's <laughs> home. And it was, wow. it was his son was wearing a leather fedora and a tan sport coat. So... Flash forward to college, Randy Pitchford went to UCLA to get a law degree, and this is also where... Do you think that would help him out more right now? Well, this is also (laughs) where he met his wife. His wife saw how unenthused he was about law. Gotcha. And told him that he should pursue a career in his real passion, video games or magic. Sure. He chose video games. Okay. So he continued to make more video games on the side, and he would upload them to the internet so that people could see them and play them. Mm. And he also continued his magic career to help pay for college and even gain membership to the famous Magic Castle in L.A., which Jeez. is like... You know magicians, notoriously wealthy. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's... Imagine if you told somebody, yeah, I paid for college with magic. Like, that's... <laughs> that's, that's fucking crazy. Dude, that's <laughs> a crazy way to say selling drugs, but... <laughs> Listen, the 80s were a different time. Yeah. yeah. Well, he also Pretty probably had all that clout too. from his, you know, Cardini. He did also... Cardini Host a memorial for his <laughs> uncle when he died. Oh, okay. Like, because he was a member then. Did he make the body disappear? <laughs> <laughs> He'd already been dead for some 20 plus years. Yeah, he was dead point. since Randy Pitchford was two, dude. Uh, <laughs> but, like, did he make it disappear, though? Oh, yeah. I don't think so. Oh. <gasps> Randy Pitchford was the masked magician. Do you remember the masked magician? Yeah, on Fox? Yeah. Who exposed all the secrets? Yeah. Do you remember he made the, uh, was it a tank disappear? And they're like, nah, we just moved the camera. Yeah. <laughs> Other magicians hated that guy. Yeah, I imagine. But yeah, after college, he sent out some resumes to some video game companies. And one responded, one in particular responded and accepted an offer, Apogee Software. I know them. And they had just got done publishing their new game, Wolfenstein 3D. 
Yeah. In, the, in conjunction with id software id is that notorious n- uh, company for putting out no good games <laughs> ever i can't even what is this like 93 94 90, it would have been 94 okay and the company would later in 1996 when randy pitchford was working there go on to change their name to 3d realms yes and release games such as Duke Nukem 3D in 1996 and Shadow Warrior in 1997. I never played Shadow Warrior. Uh, both of which 3D. Randy Pitchford is credited as working on. God, I love id games so much. And shortly after oh. the release of Shadow Warrior, <laughs> he left 3D Realms with a couple other employees to form a company called Rebel Boat Rockers. I don't know yeah. about that name. Yeah, that's, <laughs> there's, well. well, we'll, get to, we'll get We'll get to some names in a bit. Uh, they worked on one game. For EA called Prax Wars. Which I was about was to say another I shooter, that, but that <laughs> it was canceled yeah. by EA in 1999. Okay. After that, the employees of Rebel Boat Rocker disbanded, reformed, roped in a couple more 3D Realms employees and even some Bethesda employees to mm. form Gearbox Software. Yes. Named after how smoothly their games would run, like the transmission in a car with a good gearbox. Oh. Okay. Yes, that's where the name well. comes from. <laughs> I mean, their games do run smoothly. <laughs> Not when your Xbox is as old as mine. Well, get, a new, get, a, get an Xbox One X. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Shut up. Um, okay, so now, Gearbox is founded on February 16th, 1999. That's when I was born. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> Why do we stop to think second. about it? Yeah, I love oh that. Oh, my God. Do you all think I'm, like, that young? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're drinking alcohol, so I would hope not. Because I think that would make you 20. No, 21. You're good. <laughs> uh, no, I would still be 20. I would be 21 in 2020. I was born in 99. Think about it. Next year's 2020. If you were born in the year 2000, you're 57 years old next year. That is insane. How did your dude I will never get over that. Uh, (laughs) Math would like to disagree with you, but we got to get through this. So just going to roll through. Um, So the company started by developing uh, some expansions for a little game called Half Life for a company called Valve. Never heard of either of them. So exploding, like hugely successful, nineteen ninety eight yes. release. Yeah, this is. And then these are also very successful. Yeah, uh, an expansion named Opposing Force. Yes, an expansion named Blue Shift. Blue Shift, is both so of which are cool. very cool. Yeah, yes. so they're like I, it, so they run parallel to the Half Life story from the perspective yes, of the that, of a Marine to cover it up, and then of Barney, the security exactly the yeah. security officer. As yeah. we talked about, we were talking about that No Clip documentary. It really made me think about how cool that was. Like that had never been fucking done ever. No, I remember yeah. getting like a box that had a bunch of them. Yeah, all I think it might have just been it might have been Counter Strike. Blue Shift, Opposing Force, and Half-Life all in the same, yeah, like... I think I had the same box. Classic, like, PC box. It had the little Velcro PC yeah, folded out. Yeah. You're like, look at all these cool fucking screenshots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, I remember, like, playing that with my friend Alex at our at, at his parents' house. Um, They had a parrot that would sit on our shoulders while we played games. This is a very weird what? story. I know it seems weird. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Randy Pitchford would love that. It was like 80 years old by the time we were like kids. Yeah, they're immortal. It was was crazy. It didn't die until it was well over probably 90 to close to 100 years old. (laughs) But anyway, that's irrelevant to the fact that I remember being like, oh my God, there's Gordon Freeman. Oh my God. We're just like, this is just the same story from a different angle. This is so fucking cool. It was really ambitious. Like what a weird way to look at video games very early in what 
first-person shooters look we're capable of. Like, yeah. I don't know. That's and, a, Half-Life series is very important to yes, me, especially me too, at that time period. Too. Like, And also, if you want to know more about like the development of those, that documentary covers that stuff very well. Yes. So. Uh, the only thing stopping me from YouTube. wanting to do a fucking Half-Life series is yeah. that, uh, that Irish fuck <laughs> did it so good. <laughs> uh, after that... I'm just kidding, I love you. Uh, <laughs> Valve contracted one of Randy's favorites, the port, yes. this Randy, the port of Half-Life for PlayStation 2, yes. and included another expansion developed yes. by Gearbox known as Half-Life Decay, which was a multiplayer expansion. Yeah, you played as the two female scientists, I think it was green, like, do you remember in Half-Life 1, this is very Star Wars way I approach this, but in Half-Life 1, you get the HEV suit, and there are two yeah. other empty tanks, empty tanks, and they wrote yeah. a whole, like, campaign to run alongside that just Who? of had who no had suits. the other two yeah. suits and it was awesome like I wasn't huge in a PC gaming like at this point yet and that PS2 port looked fucking awesome like I mean they later went back and those PC releases got the the same up res treatment but yeah. at the time that was like seeing uh, Half-Life running on something where the faces looked like faces yeah. was pretty impressive uh, that was I, I really liked that port that was cool that was yeah that was well right. done they also did the Dreamcast port of Half-Life, which included them porting Blue Shift, which yes. was included in the Dreamcast and version. And that got canceled. Yes. Th- yeah, the Dreamcast version never came out, but I think it leaked. Uh, mm-hmm. Like par- A lot of stuff from it leaked. Yep. The Half-Life DK campaign also never made it to anything else. As mm-hmm. far as I know, that is a piece of Half-Life still exclusively only offered on the PlayStation 2. Nice. They went on to do a lot of port work. For some pretty famous games, they ported a lot from console to PC, mm-hmm. including Halo Combat Evolved, Great PC port. which we mentioned in our Halo episode, yeah. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3, two of the greatest games of all time, yeah, and then also James Bond 007 Nightfire. That's a good game. Not It's not, not Halo, it's not good, Halo or, or Tony, Tony Hawk 3, 3 yeah, but it's, yeah. it's all right. And then their last bit of, well, not their last bit of port work, but their last bit of port work for now, well, not a port. They were handled the development of Counter-Strike Condition Zero, the sequel to Counter-Strike. Yeah. Is that like an expansion? Or was that it's a, a straight, sequel. That's a straight-up sequel? sequel. Yeah. Okay. yeah. But after a few delays and a little bit of ambition on Gearbox's part, Valve wanted the thing done a little bit faster, which is probably why it's not very good. I don't know what Gearbox's version looked like, but they were taken off of the project. Their version was scrapped, and it was restarted by Turtle Rock, the Left 4 Dead people. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Um, mm. And that is the version that came out and that we probably played well i know i played it i played i I remember going to target and stealing it (coughs) we went to target we we opened whatever the statute Statute of of limitations limitations. okay here's how long ago it was target didn't even have red as their like appealing logo at this point (laughs) like it was totally different they did that too it's the opposite of walmart so yeah i remember we go in and open the box and we just wrote down the cd key and then torrented the game file and then, and then cracked it. Typed, typed, no, didn't crack, just typed in the CD key yeah. that we had written down. What a down. quaint uh, time. <laughs> yeah. What a quaint time. How about the kid who bought who, that game yeah. and his CD key was invalid? Yes, obviously, I feel horrible in retrospect. At this time, they've proven themselves. They've made a bunch of these games that are like intertwined with very successful games, and then they've, they've also done port work that is... Undeniably, it's... They have, and they've proven that they can clearly write their own stuff because, you know, the Half-Life expansions were all very well received, and for good reason. But after six years of porting and making expansions for other people's games, Gearbox finally 
decided it was time to release their first original game, Brothers in Arms Road to Hill 30. I remember this game. That was followed up by... I did not know this. I played both of these. did not know this. Followed by Brothers in Arms Earned in Blood later that year. One what? came out in March and one came out in November. They released two fucking. I've never even heard of the second yeah, one. Yeah, me either, because I played that first one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would look for any fucking shooter to live up to Call of Duty at yeah. that point. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then. Uh, Brothers in Arms was third uh, person. What was it? Medal of Honor. Was Call of Duty out yet? Yeah, Call of Duty yeah, was yeah, out yeah. by this Call point. That's 2002. Yeah. But yeah, a bunch of Brothers in Arms games. A PSP yeah. Brothers in Arms game, a Those DS Brothers in right? Arms game. They were kind of like war yeah. games that were a little more gritty and narrative focused. Yeah. Yeah, they focused on their. They were much more like about. Like wars fucked up, and then <laughs> like it's, as, then maybe Call of Duty and Medal of Honor were at the as time. the last project before we really get into it. They were contracted by Sega to port Samba de Amigo to I the Wii. No idea. Did not know that was no. Gearbox. That is Good job, yeah, the Morocco weird. Game. Yeah, that that is... was just like, hey, can we do this? What's the overhead? Like, can we make yeah. a couple bucks on this? Yeah. <laughs> just all, like, I, like, all the games that they have with, with guns, and then I just, just can't imagine booting up that game and seeing a Gearbox logo before dancing with yeah. fucking Wiimote Maracas. Just, but shit, that's so weird. Here's where we're going to get into it. Yeah. In 2007, Gearbox decided, and Gearbox wasn't done, by the way. 2007 was the year before the last Brothers in Arms game was released. Mm-hmm. But in 2007, Gearbox had announced a bunch of new ideas yeah, that and, weren't and Brothers in Arms. Their relationship with Valve kind of was soured at this point. Right? Yes. Yeah, they, they, they Which, were no longer like we said, we making can go Half-Life into it, but stuff. also check out that note yeah. clip because it does a pretty good job at describing yes. how yeah. the relationship, but there was a lot of friction in what happened. That relationship slid them into another relationship with a company called Sega. As I mentioned, they ported Samba de Amigo. That opened up a relationship with Sega, who had just acquired the, uh, acquired the rights to Aliens, yeah. the movie, as well as <laughs> yes. the classic film Heat. Yeah, which do you I, remember I, that? I do. There was and a video it, of that yeah, game. Yeah, and, and it was funny because, like, uh, I'm sure you'll mention that this never came out, but like, I had no idea that Gearbox or Sega was behind yeah. that. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't know if, if Sega it's a was, rad movie. No, 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 no. Gearbox acquired the Heat license and okay. through another publisher who then went under, which is why the Heat oh, game never came out. Okay. Yeah, we talked. Is about, there footage of a proposed Heat game out there? I think there's like a prototype or, right. or a. We talked about, alien stuff we talked was about published briefly during our Sega episode, but obviously Sega was trying to be the Disney of Japan, which is why <laughs> they were moving into movies and yeah, I wonder how much, how much money shit. it cost to get the rights for Heat. Like it's such a weird for <laughs> aliens. <laughs> yeah. The most important point of our story: they also got an exclusive cover that year with Game Informer to announce their own brand new self-owned IP, Borderlands. Yeah. Well, oh, not I self owned. I was going to say that. Orange with, it with 2K. 2K, but yeah. Borderlands. I have this issue somewhere. So do I. Yeah. What? Uh, <laughs> that was back when I didn't care because I was uh, now. uninformed. I needed Game Informer. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they call it There's that. There's a problem. The worst part oh, is my stepdad. Game Informer. Shit, this now out, I get, Jason. Oh my God, CSGO. Global offensive. <laughs> I just got it. Global offensive. Yeah. I but think like, I made that same joke during this year's <laughs> My stepdad used to, he was a really big gamer, and that's the only reason I ever played games ever when yeah, I was gamers growing rise up. up. <laughs> and no, he's the worst. Um, but he got Game Informer, and it was the top magazine on our, like, basket of bathroom reading material. That, that's what that's good for. And it was yeah. the one that, like, 
my mom got like star <laughs> and like home living yeah. and I was like fuck that yeah. I'm just gonna read Game Informer I don't know what's going on That's... but like I love that it just I'm just pulling out these it. other magazines on the toilet and you're like, yeah. yeah I'm like fuck you home improvement I don't want that That's how I knew I was an adult yeah. when when my sister moved out and I was still in high school, yeah. and then I got my own bathroom, and the bathroom magazines changed <laughs> from, like, teen people into, like, EGM. And I was like, this is my territory. You just look at your game for me, another Dragon Quest. <laughs> there was also, in, it was, a like, a fucking large basket. Like, we had a lot of magazines. But Back when magazines used to be big. Anecdotal. Do you remember when magazines shrunk in size? Think about all that the stories that were still marginal to the, that's directly marginal to the, not marginal, proportional. Yeah, proportional. <laughs> yes, to like the economy of like. Don't worry. By the time this episode comes out, Game Informer will be gone. <laughs> no, I hope. I hope. With a side note, with all my heart, I hope Game Informer outlasts GameStop. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. yeah hopefully, yeah, somebody buys Game Informer when yeah. GameStop tanks. Yeah. <laughs> Well, GameStop is just going to get merged into Hot Topic at one point, and then Hot Topic will just sell video games this, offhand, this, this and that's did, fine. This did open with a conversation about pop vinyls, so... <laughs> yeah, that, Hell well, yeah, it did. <laughs> Gears Pop, available now, iOS and Android. <laughs> yeah, if anybody's been to a GameStop recently, you can see their transition into a Hot Topic-looking uh, store. By the way, side note, when The, uh, when the Last of Us 2 of Neverly does come out and they make pop vinyls for it, you're getting all of them, buddy. Hope you, you like you, those for your you Christmas present. Do you think they would let... The, like? Yes. How do they get the rights to all I everything? You, I don't know. I man. hope you like crushed pop vinyls on your doorstep. Because <laughs> that's going to be your return <laughs> gift. I have two pop vinyls. and be neither, one of you crushed. I have two pop vinyls. Neither of them are like indicative to who I am or what I like. One I have, of Karl Marx. I, then the other. No. Dude, no, I would love a Karl, Karl Marx, Marx pop vinyl. Oh yeah, what? I'm going to write down that for my new band name. <laughs> That's good. Um, but I have K2SO from Rogue One. <laughs> that was not what I was expecting you to say. And Scrooge McDuck from DuckTales. Okay. I, I told you, neither of did... them make any sense. All right. I have the giant That's... bird guy from Bioshock because I bought it on clearance for a dollar. Oh, yeah. And then I have Claptrap because yeah, but... I bought it on clearance for $2. The Claptrap one doesn't have the oh, big stupid eyes. Oh, and I have Nathan eyes. Drake. Because oh, I bought I that I was, on clearance for $2 as well. I was with you well. when you yeah. bought that one. Yeah. Fun fact with my ex, I did a Nathan Drake and Elena Fisher cosplay. Oh. And this is the shirt from it! <laughs> somebody <laughs> like somebody subscribed me to Loot Crate. So I have a General Zod from Man of Steel pop vinyl as well. But that's in the, the trash The best somewhere. character from the best movie. Yeah, that was a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, anyway. Dom subscribe to Men's Health before we get off. Weird. Weird. My <laughs> nose is bleeding after I said that. We're way off track. Right, We're going sorry, back to Borderlands. Okay. Oh, I'm good with that. So the origins of this game actually track all the way back to Brothers in Arms days. Now, clearly, Randy Pitchford, huge fan of games like Halo, which inspired Brothers in Arms, but he was also a huge fan of games like Diablo. And kudos to him, he noticed that the core gameplay loops were very different. The core gameplay loop of a shooter is, like, very fast. There's no leveling. You just go room to room and clear it of enemies. Yeah. Uh, RPGs were a lot slower, and they relied on that slower action to allow for leveling, to allow for, a, what's the opposite of steep, more shallow leveling curve, curve, difficulty curve. Okay. And they did that through <laughs> loot. But Pitchford had an idea, and the idea was basically, like, if you could slow down a shooter just enough so that it was still fun and speed up an RPG enough so that it was just still fun, 
they could meet in the middle, and then you could make an, a shooter RPG, a role-playing shooter. And that was a lot of their marketing for the yes. first Borderlands game, was like yeah. an RPG and an FPS had a baby. Is this before Schluter became a... Yes. Yes, it was. Okay, Looter Shooter Jason, is so much better than whatever and then Jason, Jason Jones is like, peeks around the door corner and goes like, I got an idea for a game, guys, back at Bungie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Runs away. Yeah, don't tell Microsoft. I heard what they're saying. Um, but, um, yeah, thus, the idea for Borderlands was born. And the game was developed when it was finally announced in 2007 through the Game Informer cover that I mentioned earlier, it was not the Borderlands that we know today. Um, then that, which is a good thing. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> but fucking the Game Informer article, which well. I, did, I did look, I, I can't find my copy of it, but I did look it up online, has a quote on it which says, Mad Max meets Diablo. And that wasn't uh, see, far yeah, off. Yeah, you see some of that. A lot That's, of inspiration is still there. Mad but. Max inspiration, definitely. Especially, if, I mean, just looking at the fucking intros of the first two games. Mm-hmm. They released a trailer, which I showed you last night. Yes. Um, at E3 2008. Do you oh, remember this trailer? Holy shit. Yeah, I, yeah, remember I, this, do. I remember this. I remember this, this yeah. trailer. Yeah, I was trying to play Dead Cells, and there was a lot of, you know, <laughs> other stuff going on. Um, <laughs> it, it had a much more serious tone. There was a British lady talking to you about death or whatever. Is it she was, even in the game? No. She's not, no. Right? She's not a character in Borderlands. Oh, huh. I it didn't was, play all the way through, so I was like, maybe like I lost someone, but it, was it ends with a very coming out. Very <laughs> realistic looking, very gritty. Dark. Yeah. Dark. Gray. It was uh, gray and brown. I mean, this, you know is, I mean, this is 2008. The you biggest games in the world were Modern Warfare and Gears of War. It reminded like, me it of makes... Kill Zone. The oh, way yes. it looked. Yeah. Yeah, it had, a, like, I don't know, just maybe it looked a lot like Killzone. Maybe yeah. it was just, like, the kind of, like, parallel graphic capabilities of that Apple, time. Yeah. But, like, it just, it kind of, I had that feeling when yeah. I was watching it. Like, yeah. that, that era where, like, we put a snow level in so that, like, your eyes can take a rest from all the brown. You know, that, <laughs> yeah. that whole thing? Yeah. Um, well, they do that in Borderlands. Why are there too, so many? Why that. is there so much rubble on fire? But, <laughs> yeah. Somebody <laughs> put these out. Yeah. That's what they always saw, like in post-apocalyptic video games. You're like, this fire shouldn't still be raging. Yeah. Like, is anybody gonna like? <laughs> is this gonna fizzle out at some point, or is this just no, eternal fire? That's radiation fire. It lasts forever. Mm. Sorry. <laughs> the, the, but the ideas for Borderlands can still be seen in the trailer. The vault is still there. The vault hunters are still there. The logo was a thing. Yeah, the logo was the vault hunter there. logo was the a thing. Skag. They showed yeah. Skag. They were there. The psychos were there. They showed yeah. a lot of enemies. They showed Commandant Steel, who ends up spoilers, I guess, being the main villain <laughs> for the, <side laughs> the story. Also, what's that big fucking Roscoe. Rhino Roscoe? Yeah. Yeah. Roscoe's in it. Captain Scarlet's little dude. Big dude. Yeah, and <laughs> they show you a behind-the-back view of three vault hunters Plus looking up at the looking up at the vault, and it is Roland, Mordecai, and Lilith. Tank who are, came later, huh? Brick was not there, yeah, Brick, but the sorry. other three yeah. were there. Yeah, his name's dumber than what you said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lilith and, is my girlfriend and you first can, game. You so. can find video of a behind-closed-doors demo that were there showing off at the same E3, and if you watch the demo, the menus look the same. The gun manufacturers are all still there. Yeah, like, like the doll uh, and, and stuff. You know, you yeah. switch a gun, you get that little blue like readout that has all yeah. the stats. Yeah, the stats, stats with yeah. the arrows up and down. That totally. was still there. Yeah. Uh, the, when you the pick demo, up a... the demo was two players playing, and it was Mordecai and Roland. It was Makes you sense. know yeah. same characters. Mordecai looked like Mordecai, kind of. <laughs> still his bird. I remember watching. I mean, like even looking at the character models, like the comparison of Lilith from Game One to what we're looking they at. Did, for yeah, they did go through character 
redesigns. Oh god, we, no, watched, we talked we about watched this. The yeah. Borderlands one reveal when they revealed the new art style, which I'll get to. Yes. Uh, like and then twig. back to back with the Borderlands three reveal, yeah. and I was like, holy shit, they added <laughs> yeah. so much color. Yeah. Holy shit. Well, it's yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah, the game had a bunch of Borderlands stuff in it, but it was lacking that personality that Borderlands is is known for. Yeah, the, the it thing didn't that have an Borderlands identity out. yet. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, people mentioned this at E3, and Borderlands was scheduled for a 2008 release date. It was supposed to come out later that year. Yeah. But um, the team got back from E3. They had an internal meeting to find out how they were going to differentiate themselves from, and the, one of the most ironic things in this whole thing, from the games like Fallout and Rage, who now <laughs> yeah. stole Borderlands art style yeah. for Rage 2. Oh, man. Those trailers for Rage 2 yeah. are like Borderlands trailers, and then the game itself is not at all like no. <laughs> that tone. Yeah, That's the one thing Borderlands does. We'll talk about it later when we get to the release, but Borderlands knows how to have that tone and like not abuse it yes yeah yeah but <laughs> but the thing is the game in the demo we watched you can tell the game was mostly done the physics are the same the cars animations and enemies the look same, the same yeah. the yeah. animations are the same it Characters, just needed action skills all that it just yeah. needed a little the bit trees. of polish but they look fucking boring and i can't tell if that's retrospective but yeah it might be yeah i, I think it's i think it's fair i mean but with borderlands one the yeah, game yeah the game was already written it had the personality that we know, but it it just it didn't match with the art style, and it wasn't shown off to people. And they, there were wacky elements, like I said, the car physics and the powers were apparently wacky, although they didn't show much of that off. Mm-hmm. But it looked fucking boring, and they needed their purple cow, which what is the fuck an advertising that? term that I learned while researching this, which is. It's an advertising term meaning that you use flashy things to stick out from the rest of the pack. Wait, was like the peacock metaphor not good enough? For- no, it's like you don't you don't want to change you don't want to change what the actual. Pro- <laughs> That's a good joke. Like, I don't understand. You don't want to change what the actual product does, so you just paint the cow purple so that it stands out from the rest of the cows. Oh, I've heard that before. Yeah, I have not. So, time out. Who painted the cow purple for this reference to exist? I assume Randy did. It was a magic it's, trick. It's a book. There's a book called Finding a- the Mythical Purple Cow or something. What? Just, is that like the Diablo level? Just because I'm assuming it's old, it's probably racist as hell. <laughs> <laughs> I just get that vibe. Um, but From painting the purple cow, really? <laughs> a Gearbox employee by the name of Brian Martell formed a team and got to work in secret on a prototype featuring a new art style. And they did it in secret because they didn't want to discourage the team to think that the work that they were doing was all going to be overwritten, but they wanted to find their purple cow. And that art style, as much as it defines this entire franchise, leads us to our first controversy. Which I didn't Woo, know about here this. We go. Yeah. yeah, like yeah, I, yeah, you lead both. This went on we, to sort of be one of the most influential like gaming art styles ever. And yes, in 2010, early 2010, right after Borderlands One came out, somebody found very striking similarities between Borderlands art style and some of their animations and the the way that the characters moved and a short film from 2006 by the name of Code Hunters. I watched this after I saw it's yeah. on YouTube but I yeah. watched this after I saw this in your Yeah, uh, if, if anybody all... out there is interested look it up. You will you will Melanie literally sat there and went, "Wow. Yeah. Wow." It's yeah. Wow. I am um, so I played the first game, the remaster, and I play the second game uh, like very, very regularly to the point where it's like it burned into my psyche. Like 
the visuals from it. Mm. So Austin put this on for us last night to watch just going into this episode and the it opens and I was like <laughs> Oh with the yeah. that with a looks literal bust that's shaped exactly here's, the same here's the as thing. the first it's, fucking It is bust. a little bit uncanny, but the one thing I will say is that the color palette of the whole thing is very muted as opposed to yes, Borderlands. And that's what I said that's last night. Yeah, like yeah. the outlines are also, very the other similar. Thing, no offense to the guy who made it. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. I what I was saying is that like the bus, obviously, the driving on the road is something they do for their intros for Borderlands. Yeah. But I'm watching, like, the road as a character is walking down it, and the patterns of debris <laughs> look so similar to even what's in Borderlands 2. The there environments are some, look I think very similar. Con- exactly. I think it's a consequence of skinning things that way, because those type of... Structures are kind of a commonplace in art in general. If you draw a pile of rocks, they tend to look similar than most people's pile of rocks. Yeah, and, yeah, and that's you know fair. what I mean, like things but, like that. But. And I remember watching it, and like, like you said, Austin, the environments are very similar in just the style and the way it's drawn. But a lot of the characters do not look the same. No, not there's the faces. A style, there's, a there's a style. They're a little more eccentric than, like, that little girl that's in Code Hunters looks a lot like Tiny Tina. Mm. Yes. And I think the stylization like, is the key. I sh- yeah. I oh. honestly, no, no offense like to the Code Hunters guy. That's really cool. I'm glad you did that on your own. It's an incredible art style. And obviously, if it is the case, you've innovated a generation of fucking art style. But, like, also... Borderlands just did it good. But well, the problem well, is... Well, get to that's, the problem. That's essentially, yeah, that, that's the thing about so the these film, sort of... You are correct in saying yeah. that. However... However, the film was animated by a man named Ben Hibben with help from MTV Hibben. Asia. It yeah, was used as the MTV intro for the MTV and... Movie Awards in Asia. It's fucking uh, weird. And features many things that look very similar. That makes sense. You know what it's very reminiscent to? Yeah. And even, like, thinking about that, it's like, like six as minutes the link long? between, yeah. like... Borderlands and the Gorillas music video. Yeah, nine yes. Oh, it's yeah. very it's very Gorillas. Oh yeah, so this did come out of that. Yeah, but they, this caused some controversy and when approached for comment, Pitchford said, hmm. "I would like to thank news sites who chose to share the awesome work in Code Hunters with their readers. It's great content and one can no doubt imagine that a number of artists <clears throat> and designers at Gearbox were inspired and influenced by it." It was inspiring to me when The Incredibles was clearly a big source of influence for titles like Battlefield Heroes and Team Fortress 2 and other amazing games and media. That's true. Perhaps with more attention from game news sites and other sources, Code Hunters can be more respected and honored for the innovation and leadership in CG as well. Maybe I'm too optimistic to believe that Code Hunters can get as much attention as Pixar, but due respect, I believe they deserve. But with the help of gaming news sites and others who care about great content, maybe more people can notice and recognize it and perhaps be inspired by it. He was much more articulate back then. Yeah, first of all, wait, what a dick, but wait. also so true. Like, unfortunately, like, he is a dickhead, but it's like, yeah. yes, it should get the praise it deserves. And also, it's like, you just took an art style that exists and just... Did it with your game? Are we not supposed to be inspired by things? Yeah, or is it because that, what's the line between direct hold theft? Because that, yeah, because that happens in this stuff all, all right. the time. Like they don't own that. Yes. Okay. So here's here's the problem. Ben Hibben, when contacted about this exact controversy in an interview with a guy named I'm gonna get this wrong, probably Mark Seb, maybe. I don't know, CEB, uh, yeah, for the website like Gather Your Party. Here's the interview. I'm going to read it in full. Well, not in full, but the, the clip from it. Mm-hmm. Did anyone from Gearbox or 2K Games contact you before the release of Borderlands? That was the interviewer. Ben, 
I was contacted by Gearbox prior to the redesign of the game in 2008. They asked oh. me if I would be interested in doing some design and some cutscenes for them. We exchanged a few emails, but the project didn't materialize in the end. I didn't think much of it at the time until I saw the final game. Mark, how do you feel when you saw what clearly looks like your ideas and design styles being used in the game after they said the project that you would have been worked on was being scrapped? Hmm. Ben, to be absolutely clear, I have never created or designed anything for Gearbox or Borderlands. Gearbox saw my work and decided to reproduce it, make it their own, without my help or my consent. The hardest part for me when this happened was understanding why they wouldn't ask me directly. We were already talking about doing work together. It just made no sense. Mark, I know it's been a long time since then, but Gearbox is still making Borderlands, and it seems there's plans to continue the series all while continuing to use an art style that's been credited to... Ben Martell, as an 11th hour stroke of genius, how do you feel about it now? Ben, I always think of the talented team of artists working in Gearbox who could have created something original and bespoke instead of copying someone else's short film, and I feel bad for them. Well, that's the thing, is what I happened because... Corrected. Yeah, what happened because of this... I didn't like, know he was reached out said, to, that's different. It was an 11th hour style change. That part isn't untrue. Yeah. 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 And it was so bad and disruptive that the lead artist on it left the industry altogether after this happened. The the Uh. lead lead art designer for the original Borderlands before it was changed got fed up and just quit the industry after they changed her art style. Holy shit. And it's like, Mm -hmm. part of me is like, I get they needed their purple cow. You're not, we're not wrong about that. That's not, the style to Borderlands was what invited them to be able to pump up the humor and the personality that's 100% in Borderlands true, yeah. no, I was, think it was what clicked. Because I think what, without exactly. that style, it made that appealing to are, me, for we, sure. Without that change, there is no Borderlands 3 next week. Right, there is exactly. no episode we would right not, now. Yeah. There is no episode right now. We would not be recording this if it wasn't for that 11th hour stroke of genius. However, yeah. given quotes, that information, point, yeah. they, they could have brought the dude in, or at the very least said, we're going to be inspired by art style. This is based off of a short film we saw. Somehow it gives some credit Put to the guy. Put it in the credits. Put in the credits. Yeah. It, so I mean, here's the thing. Paying is probably... I said this last night when we were watching it, it's not like they wholesale lifted. Absolutely it's not. not. They were no. inspired by it. Yeah. The psychos were already in the game. All of the stuff that gives exactly. Borderlands the personality that it has was in the game. The characters were in the game. Yeah. The enemies were in the game. The world was in the game. There's no biting humor in that short or anything yeah. like yeah. that. No, That's, and that short yeah. is a lot more drab and a lot, little yeah. more boring than Borderlands. Precisely. Chris even made a comment while we were watching it. Yeah, I mean, he it's, was here like, to, it's here to present a fucking like, award show, not yeah. like... Chris was like, I'm glad Borderlands didn't Lord steal this outright because this is kind of boring when he was watching the <laughs> short. Yeah, yeah. And we just like looked at each other <laughs> like, Ugh. I kind of agree. But like, the thing is like, Take maybe credit the guy if he was that much of an inspiration. But... The Borderlands artist didn't just steal somebody else's work and take credit for it. They did a lot of work. There's a lot of yeah. stuff in Borderlands Absolutely. that is them. Yeah. This inspiration just pushed it over the edge enough to That's have enough personality to stick I out. I think That's this it. short film and Borderlands both existed on their own and had their own life and their own feeling. And Borderlands had all the things that make it great already. I yeah. think that they just literally took the skin fit perfectly. The purple and they cow just... metaphor the purple cow metaphor is exactly correct in this case because it's a like, literal paint job. It yeah. is that, it but is. it fits the, the personality. It's the difference between a paint job yeah. and lighting. 
And, like, and cell shading graphics have been approached in video games before, but not to the degree that this was. No, Borderlands what's uh, that look fucking cool old PlayStation before. game? I mean, I, I, talk, I think I referenced Killer Seven. Killer Seven, uh, thirteen. Uh, I think is the one you're thinking 13, of. Yeah, yeah. Which I love both those games a lot. Graphics, I think thirteen yeah. is getting remade or something. That'd be cool. I like uh, yeah, to look back at it, that. that was that comic book style. Was yeah, but yeah, really fucking like cool. Like I said, like Borderlands One. Yeah, it had the same sort of like witticism almost, but it was more more boring, more serious. Yeah. And then Borderlands Two, they just fucking exploded it. Yeah, like they were like, like, let's make this playful and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, like we kind of got him in. The cell shading is giving us this edge to be a little like, as Austin said, wacky. Like to sort of go outside of what the normal realm yeah. of serious. I mean, I remember that's what is. made that game very much like on my radar. Where I was like, man, this kind of looks like like Jet Set Radio or something. Well, but it's I'll a be... shooter. I love shooters. Like that's mm-hmm. so. Yeah. I I'm not like I don't. I have never played an FPS before. I played Borderlands Two, and the only reason was I saw like somebody else playing it, and I saw the animation for the like pick up all ammo when you open a chest oh yeah i just yeah. like watched the, him the thing o- the, the case open up and spray yeah I watched, it's, it's I cool. watched him open oh, yeah. just like a doll chest, <laughs> and then he he held x and all of the ammo flew to you and i was like fuck i gotta play this it's game yeah. i've yeah. never had played an fps before in my life this is how i learned how to control video games yeah. like uh, also sidebar scanner darkly also came out in 2006 oh, that was rotoscoped that it came out in 2006 but it's still it is gorgeous. a very hard-lined oh, yeah. Dark edge, <laughs> thick filled outlines, in with yeah. matte colors, and it's like That's a um, link letter. Yeah, yeah, the shading is like I, I don't know the exact so. word for it, but it's almost like a geometric shading with hard lines, which is pretty a, much right there on the edge of cell shading art. Yeah. Here's the thing: it's a comic art style. It's an inked yeah. in. It's very art yeah. It's all style. very here's comic the thing. We inspired. talk a lot about how Borderlands has heavily inspired a lot of games today. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's important to for people out there to know this story because this guy does deserve his credit. But the Ben arts, Hibbard, right? The ben Hibbard. Yeah, Hibbard. The ben arts, okay, sorry, not the not, not the, the death guy cab. from Death Cab for <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I keep getting it mixed up too, and I don't even like the, the guy who did this deserves his credit, but at the same time, the thing that inspired everybody from Borderlands, the thing that people are ripping wholesale from Borderlands nowadays, is not loot the shoot art. RPG. Yeah. It's, right, it's yeah. the gameplay mechanics, the the systems. It's like the minute and to the minute. attitude. Oh, I, the attitude. Yeah. As I made my Destiny joke earlier, yeah. of, you know, him 100% the Gearbox. Yeah. yeah. And, and Gearbox. It made everything wacky. And the thing I love about Borderlands is that Gearbox takes that attitude and they nail it. Mm-hmm. It it can feel forced at times. And it is cheesy sometimes. And it is cheesy sometimes. Oh, you mean the epitome good. of it being forced, the character claptrap? Uh, I think, I, but, but even so, like, I think it's undeniable. It I think it's undeniable that even uh, things like Overwatch, like, wouldn't even maybe have its same sort of character, yes. sort of record. Like, without Overwatch Battleborn, you're right. Yeah. Battleborn did. In- <laughs> we'll get to Battleborn next week. Um, I got some stuff to say about Battleborn. Yeah, but me too. That personality. Yeah came from a very talented cast of writers, including Pitchford and his wife, yeah. who both wrote the game. I didn't know she contributed. Yes. I knew he did. Okay. As well Did you as... know that she dresses him? Because I found that <laughs> out well, can, Yeah. <laughs> Let's just hold on. Um, Stop giving him Hawaiian shirts. As well, Paisley shirts. Paisley. As well as he... longtime Gearbox employees. One I want to single out in particular, Mikey Newman. Yeah, because we'll get into him later. Great as well. YouTube series, if you're into movies at all, called Movies with Mikey. 
he is no longer an employee at Gearbox, but he no. he was since the very early days of like Brothers in Arms. He wrote the Brothers in Arms games as well. Okay, and all of them also did. Well, I don't know about Pitchford's wife, but Randy Pitchford and Mikey Newman, both very iconic voices in the game. Pitchford voices Crazy Earl. Yeah, and Mikey Newman voiced Scooter. Oh, nice. rip. R.I.P. R.I.P. <laughs> but uh, I love Scooter. Yeah. <laughs> This controversy uh, came up <laughs> after the game. What you want? Randy Pitchford's, Pitchford's wife is named Kristen Pitchford. Christy Pitchford, Kristen by the way. Pitchford, yeah. Okay. Yes. Uh, just wanted to do no, that. No, good. she's yeah, a man's wife. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. I thought no, I wrote her I name down. No, I knew it wasn't intentional, and he's obviously no, way more you. famous it's, than uh, she is. It's 50,000 years of society. So yeah, it, well, that's, I mean, that's why I thought to look it up. It's like Randy and Christy. Yeah, yes. Christy Pitchford. Christy Pitchford. Yes, thank but you. We're, despite we're, this we're... small controversy, the game, obviously, as we know now, was a hit. Hell yeah. I know people that bought Xboxes and, like, subscriptions to live to mm -hmm. play this game. Unfortunately, game... I wasn't a poser and I was already playing. But, uh, <laughs> no, me too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, this was two years after Modern Warfare. This was the same year as Modern Warfare 2. Yes. So. Yeah, oh, that would make sense. Uh, that was yeah. probably a part of it. Gearbox. I think I said that on the Call of Duty episode. More so publisher 2K. And most importantly, fans were absolutely thrilled yeah. with Borderlands. The game sold around three to four million copies. For a new IP, that's that's very good. Yeah, pretty significant. Um, Saw that cell shading. That's true. <laughs> uh, this led to a bunch of DLC. Some better than others. That's the DLC for Knox, one was. Dude, people still fucking talk about the General Knox's really? armory. <laughs> Gaming DLC. is kind of. I just thought about something. Uh, we can get into it later. Uh, I just want to say, that it, it, just for the podcast, if you want to have a little thought on your own, we'll talk about this more. Gaming is kind of still very word of mouth is yes. pretty... Oh, of course. As far as art mediums go, but yeah. we can move on. Think about we can, Pokemon we can, Go and yeah, Fortnite. Exactly. Yeah. We, we can yeah. talk about that's more of a cool philosophical um, conversation. <laughs> but more so than the DLC, this led to a sequel, and it led to a sequel pretty quickly. Yeah. I have so many hours. There wasn't merchandise until the sequel. Yes. <laughs> and oh, let's go get some we'll Borderlands merchandise. We'll get into that. I already have a Cap Claptrap pod final. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the worst item of Borderlands merchandise that you could Oh, no, there's own. way dumber shit out there. I think they got ice cubes that are probably branded for, like... Yeah, Claptrap ice cubes. Uh, Dude, fuck an ice machine. I want Claptrap ice cubes and everything. Borderlands 2 was announced on August 2nd, 2011 a little under two years after the first game came out. There were no major art style changes this time. There was just more color added. It was the same engine, Unreal. Same engine that all of their games run mm -hmm. on. Yeah. But I want to highlight somebody who I think changed Borderlands from just another sequel into one of my favorite games of all time and sort of defined... Aside from Empire Strikes Back, maybe the best sequel of all time. <laughs> yes. And that person is a man by the name of Anthony Birch. Yeah. who was announced as the writer for Borderlands 2 the day after it was announced. He is famous for a series of online videos with his sister. Ashley Birch. Ashley Birch. Angel. Uh, also, yeah, also incredible. Hey, Ash, what you playing? His sister, yeah, voice of Tiny Tina. Also the voice of Aloy from Horizon Zero Dawn. Chloe. Great voice actor. Yeah. Chloe from Life, Life is, is Strange. Strange. And, yeah. He took that personality thing that I've been talking about and ratcheted up to 11. Uh, yeah. And uh, he... And I don't want to credit him alone, but I think he was, like, more so a writer. Like, it was a collaborative effort with one. Like, talking to Melanie about this last night, like, he took the characters from one who kind of lacked personality and yeah. gave them personality in two. Yes. Yeah, they via returned. secondary storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like, 
Yes. They're way, their characters way more so yes. beyond their game. Um, and now we're in three, and that sort of mentality has been transferred over. Yeah, those characters are still like, exactly yeah, all yeah. the characters like, that you met in one, two, even a couple pre sequel, even tales. Some tales. Yeah, fuck yeah. Like it's just like I don't know that feeling of everybody's coming home. It's I just, can't. I just, can't help but feel if there's that. Any, if there's any proof that Borderlands has inspired and has been unique, it's that. I officially resent Borderlands because I've seen it, it too much. And it's not that Sorry. I've seen it too much. It's that people have mimicked it too much. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. To the point where I'm like, ugh, this is antiquated. Wait, no, this is the original. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's I completely like, get uh, that. We're gonna... <laughs> okay. But yeah, on actual development, not much story here. The game came out. Phenomenal. One of my favorite games of all time. I know it's one of Melanie's favorite games of all time. Oh, Um, absolutely. It is my favorite game of all time, no uh, doubt. But it wouldn't be a Gearbox release without some controversy. (laughs) So let's get into that. Yay! Um, In an interview about Gage the Mechromancer, one of the characters, lead designer John Hemingway said about the character, the design team was looking at the concept art and thought, you know what? This is actually the cutest character we've ever had. I want to make, for lack of a better term, the girlfriend skill tree. This is, I love Borderlands and I want to share it with someone, but they suck at first-person shooters. Can we make a skill tree that actually allows them to understand the game and play? That's what our attempt was with the best friends forever skill tree, which is Gage's skill this tree. This guy seems and like a total you, dipshit. Let me make a point about, Let me. I've played... As all of the characters except the psycho, you have played Borderlands more Borderlands too. than the three of us combined. <laughs> yeah, and then no, that's far. And I've beaten every single aspect of that game. <laughs> yeah. So that yeah, and yeah. you know how many times I've done that. Yes. <laughs> but like, I've beaten the game three times. Gage? Yeah. Wait. Fuck this quote. I need the boyfriend skill tree. Yeah, right? <laughs> I need the idiot so, skill tree. Yeah. No. What I want to say about Gage as a character is that she is OP from the get, and that consensus is shared by the so, Borderlands community. So People she, who still stream Borderlands 2. She's who I played. I thought the Necromancer was a DLC character. She is it a is. DLC character. She was character. a day one DLC character. Yeah. Okay. Um, it was like I don't a know. I didn't bonus. play it when it came out. She was a pre-order bonus, but you could also buy her. Okay. I think. Yeah, so the two DLC's characters there are... Well, Borderlands 1 is not that interesting in yeah. the way of its playable characters and action skills. With Borderlands 2... Did they ever add other characters besides the four in Borderlands 1? No, there no. were no DLC okay. characters, and that's become something that it's expected of a Borderlands game. We'll talk about the pre-sequel later. Yeah, um, there were their, six in Borderlands 2, right? There were four originally, which four originally. was the Siren, Maya, Maya, who I played as, and that's my Same. main. I'm very, very good with Maya. <laughs> this uh, is pre-sequel, right? No, no this no, is Borderlands oh, 2. Two. We'll okay, talk sorry, about, sorry. I, yeah. I'm doing the dev on <coughs> okay. two, Zero. So. Zero, yes, Zero, who is sniper-based deception character. Axton, who has a turret and like his skill trees are cool because it's a lot of like mech, a lot of like stuff that can draw yeah, aggro. That's that my can, shit because yeah. he had uh, you can get the magnet mixed with the uh, like the nuke thing and you just throw your turrets on the wall and then when yeah. they blow up, they fucking <laughs> <Yeah>. nuke. Um, <laughs> and then the fourth one is the gunzerker who is definitively people who play long game who max out characters and do raid bosses and stuff like that all the streamers have a gunzerker character it's, yeah. his name is salvador and he's definitively the most powerful vault hunter but not powerful in an overpowered way like gage is 
where she just can just spray and pray for the basically the whole game. And spawn once you a thing that fights. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Death Trap yeah. is super so OP from like girlfriend. level yeah. five. So then, uh, so naturally, yeah, exactly. So naturally, this is yeah, and so yeah, that's really condescending. But like. Well, they're, they're biting the hand that feeds them. Like half yeah. of their audience is. And the psycho is what you're saying. This, the, the last one oh, is yeah, the, never psycho, the psycho, which was cool because I re- I just really liked that concept, but I never played it his, as him. I beat um, the game as Greek. That's awesome. I don't I don't know anybody who's beat the game. It was, as Greek. It was hard. Yeah. So that's yeah, I like, beat it as zero. That was hard. That yeah. was a more that was a more gimmicky yes. character than anything else. I beat it on the Vita too. Talk about hard. Wait, <laughs> you beat Christ. it on the Vita? Uh-huh. I played that version when you bought it. That's it was not good. <laughs> no. If we're gonna talk about, you know, in terms of damage output and staying alive. No, actually oh, we're not gonna totally. talk about that. This is it. Hop on over. I chose the Macromancer because I can't right. fucking multitask. No, I, I beat at the all. game as Gage too. The <laughs> only thing is that um, the Gunzerker is powerful in the way that it takes a lot of like skill and different loadouts to maximize his power. Okay. With Gage, you're like that from the get-go. Yeah. The woman class, <laughs> according to this guy. <laughs> so it also wouldn't be a controversy without Randy Pitchford responding. Uh, uh, hold on, let me butt in. And <laughs> his response, there is no universe where Hemingway is a sexist. Uh, All the women at Gearbox would beat his and anyone else's ass. <laughs> and then follow-up tweet, I'm sure Hemingway is getting noogied right now, but not his fault. A personal anecdote has been twisted and dogpiled on by sensationalist. Fun! It's very Donald Trump-like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like- we made that comparison Sad. last night, too. Sad. Fun. Where it's just like... It's like you have the power in your hands. Just stop yeah. tweeting at people. <laughs> and then, like, the thing with that response also, too, is it's the equivalent of, like, no, I'm not racist. I have a black friend. <laughs> like, I know yeah, women. It's not hard for you to go back and admit you were wrong and make changes. I didn't Evidently read it too is. much <laughs> into the CD Projekt Red thing, but from the outside, it seems like they were like, oh, we fucked up. Here's a change. We're sorry. Is that how that went, or is that a bigger issue? I mean, that's there? not good enough for people either anymore. Uh, so. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think, like, I mean, what would the right way to handle that be? Like, I didn't mean it like that, and or like, even that seems disingenuous. Just well, done, Randy, because the only Randy reason comes they out, it's like, did this, it this is this guy's a total idiot. Let me. I, well, that's yeah, what I'm saying. Right? It's like, look, this. Here's how you. Here's how you solve that. You come out and go. My wife will beat you at Borderlands. <laughs> 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 that could work. <laughs> And you just kind of go like, hey, like, we fucked up. That wasn't like, cool to say. This yeah. was very, just absolutely oblivious there's to a, what's there, going and on. And there's no, there's no problem the to being like, we designed a character with a skill tree for people for who are less experienced. Yeah, for oh, casual yeah, exactly. players. And that's, yeah. But you don't have to Your say... girlfriend. You don't have to say that all women are casual players and all men are hardcore because it's not how it works at all. Oh, you know yeah. who's a casual Borderlands player that played the Necromancer fucking class? Me. You know like, who's not a casual player oh, wait, who so still never, played the Necromancer? Never mind. And enjoyed it? Yeah. Randy is kind of a gamer and here's the thing like it's not about like oh well I'm I'm better at borderlands than any of the boys the cooperative like, okay. I know I am I don't have to I don't have to like <laughs> so it is about that <laughs> no but it's just like it's it's hard for me to reconcile with a lot of these controversies just because it's like 
Fuck. I mean, it's you don't not even, care about me. It's not even mechanically here because they're also referencing the visual design of the character by being yeah. like, look She's how adorable. cute this character is. Yeah, yeah. she is. Yeah, but, but boys so can like cute things. There's a lot of cute things in Borderlands. All three of you love cute things. <laughs> if my Sunset Overdrive character is any them. evidence of that. <laughs> Your Sunset Overdrive character is the cutest. <laughs> but, again, despite this little controversy, this little hiccup, Borderlands 2 would go on to be even more successful than 1, yes. uh, leading to some of the best story DLC for any game ever made, I yeah. contend. Uh, Tiny Tina's Assault on Dragon Keep Ugh. is the best single <laughs> DLC thing ever released. Dude, I jack off to that DLC. <laughs> whoa, whoa. So okay. <laughs> Let's do. Oh, sorry, um, I'm a woman. That joke makes like, you uncomfortable. And like... <laughs> Wow, called out. <laughs> but, but like, the, no, like I, I told Randy this story before. I thought Borderlands One was okay. I know you didn't really play a ton I, of the first one. I Not played the remaster out. and I bought it. it. It was one of those things where it's like it's all the DLC for twenty bucks. I'm yeah. gonna buy it. I'm I like play Borderlands it One. You're just missing out on anything in retrospect. I yeah. know the Two story. Two is superior in every way. Two absolutely is. Phenomenal. It's where Borderlands formed its identity. I almost yeah, didn't so. buy it. Um, my my roommate in college at the time got a new graphics card, which came with Borderlands Two, and he's like, "I don't want this." And I was like, "Fine, I'll play it." And then I Fucking fell loser. in love. Yeah. yeah, of course. And we obviously know where the franchise went from there, but we got Telltale made a spinoff game, Tales from the Borderlands, which is I, one of the best I love it so pieces much. of story in video game. It's history. some of the best writing I've ever seen yes. in the the field. It's um, it's incredible. It's my it's my personal favorite uh, Borderlands release, which is yeah yeah. <laughs> I know uh, maybe a controversial opinion just because of the the, the gameplay is so yeah. different yeah. of a different thing, but it's just it's personally. Incredible. And yeah. then <laughs> a third game made in part by Gearbox and in part by a two K yeah. satellite studio called Borderlands the pre sequel. And Melanie's going to talk about that, but first I just want to highlight all three of these things: the DLCs that I love. Tales from the Borderlands and Borderlands pre-sequel, all written by Anthony Birch. Man. So So before you get into it real quick, who is the other developer? This is you said this is a partnership between Australia. I'll I'll talk about it. What else were they known for? We'll get to it. She'll talk about it, I'll look it up. (laughs) Okay. So I am glad that I got to because Austin, you said you did not play much of the pre-sequel. I beat it. You did, yeah. I I didn't finish it. I beat it in that I I got through the story and was like, yep, that's good. Like, I didn't beat beat it like I did with Borderlands 2. So do you guys know how I play Borderlands 2 now? Yeah. Or I don't have to ask. I've seen you play it. (laughs) You guys have watched me play it. Like, anyway. Yeah. So I play Borderlands 2 now as just my like default game a lot of the times. You play Borderlands 2 the way I play Tetris. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's my fucking game, yeah. dude. Like that's the thing. I need to, to reach my <laughs> yeah. yeah. Get um, to my happy place. Right. And so Borderlands 2 I played. I started playing. I think it was when did the the pre-sequel came out in 2014. Yeah, I started, which was after the new consoles were already out, but initially I, it was only on the too. old stuff. So, yeah. I got that. Don't okay, worry. Okay. Don't worry. I got that it That was all, a very Randy. odd thing. Okay, I am all right, ready. Right. I am so ready. <laughs> but the pre-sequel was the first game I ever bought and played at launch. Oh, okay. Really? Yes. Mm-hmm. So for me, the pre-sequel holds a lot to my heart, and I played the pre-sequel like I play Borderlands 2 now mm-hmm. for two years. And then I went back to two, and I was like, oh, God, this game's infinitely better in every way. <laughs> Did the pre-sequel have DLC and stuff, too? Yes, and I will get into that. Okay. Um, I wasn't sure if they I, supported I, that game. I but... have a very comprehensive bullet note outline over here, <laughs> along with a drawing of Claptrap. I saw that. It's cute. <laughs> so... 
Hold on, sidebar. I played Claptrap in the pre-sequel. So did I, for one level. I didn't didn't (laughs) want to get the oxygen fucking stuff. I like the thing. That was why I played it as him. Uh, Genuinely, that is why I played as Claptrap too, because I kept getting tired of the fucking The RNG all this bullshit. Continue on. (laughs) Sorry. So, um, the pre-sequel was, story-wise, it takes place between Borderlands 1 and Borderlands 2. Yes. And it includes... It's a cute name. Yeah. It includes our, you know, all the characters we know. Moxie, Handsome Jack, uh, you know, Roland and Lilith are on the moon. It takes place on Pandora's moon, Elpis. It was developed by 2K Australia, so the moon is basically treated as, like... Australia, sort Australia of like, moon, like Pandora, Pandora's Australia, where there okay. is just like weird outback, like, <laughs> like it's it's cool, the, yeah. like Bushwick, like all that kind of like weird Australian stuff. Yeah. And I'm a really huge fan of like Australian humor in general, so I really sure. loved it at the time because of that. So Borderlands the pre sequel was published by 2K and developed by 2K Australia with quote unquote assistance from Gearbox. To cut in here, what does that mean? now that I've looked it up, 2K Australia was formerly 2K Irrational. Yeah, who made fucking Bioshock Infinite. They helped make, they, hold on That's why they have them on the pre-sequel. They helped make Bioshock 1 and Bioshock 2, and then later became 2K Marin. Oh, 2K Marin. And made okay. the Bureau XCOM Declassified. Yes. Which one was not a great game. Most just forgotten. Not then good. they helped make Bioshock Infinite. Or no, they helped make Bioshock Infinite and they also made Bureau XCOM Declassified in the same year. And then they made Borderlands the pre sequel and then they were shut down. So Oh, they're gone. Yes, they're gone. Okay. Yeah, so, 2015 it says okay. shut down. All right. So the pre sequel comes out October twenty fourteen. Yeah. On previous gen consoles. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you being very upset at the time. I was very upset. No, no, I looked all of this up earlier because this was, like I said, the first time I bought a game at launch. So I bought it at launch on an Xbox 360. (laughs) This is before backwards compatible shit, too. So I remember, like, yeah. And so the problem I have with that is, like, it's released October 2014 on previous gen. And it is, you know, it's good. You can buy the season pass, which promises story mm. DLC, two new characters, okay. and headhunter packs like there were in Borderlands 2. Old console. Like, I mean, spoiler they alert. <laughs> no, spoiler alert. That season pass was a fucking scam oh. because... The studio got shut down like a year after the game. Oh, exactly. holy shit. So they didn't yeah. even finish what they were doing? So... Yeah. I, I'll get into the DLC okay, in a Okay, sorry. I knew they put out quotes being like, yeah, we're sticking to old generation consoles, but we have a plan. And yeah. it was like, oh, uh. yeah. So, so, October 2014, Borderlands, the pre-sequel comes out. It's the price of a new game. You can buy the it season is. pass or whatever. And then the problem with that is that in March 2015, like six months later... The Handsome Collection is released on next gen. Yeah, right. Which includes the pre-sequel. It does. So the Handsome Collection is Borderlands 2, Borderlands the pre-sequel, and all the DLCs and season pass for both. For yeah, for sixty bucks. That's sixty bucks, and that's a good deal. It is, yeah. But for people who are like diehard fans like I am, who just bought the sixty dollar version for Xbox 360 and the season pass on top of that, I think you fell. Did you fall for that too? No, I. So I bought Porto. Sorry, I was I'm like, not as smart as awesome. I was like, no, 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 hold on. I was like, fuck you. Yeah. I'm going to buy the pre-sequel on PC because I'm not breaking out my Xbox 360 anymore. Yeah. 
and then I didn't buy the Borderlands 2 season pass. I bought them all on a Steam sale and played them later. Okay. Which was a mistake because they were phenomenal. But They're I did, so, All of them are very good. But I decided to do that again with Borderlands the pre-sequel, and then I didn't ended up not liking the game all that much, so I ended up not ever playing the DLC. Okay. So basically, Borderlands the pre-sequel is it looks and feels like a reskin of Borderlands 2, and a lot yeah. of the criticism of it is why wasn't it just an add-on? Like it should have just been an add-on because it's it's like you're playing the same game. And for people like me who couldn't really get into games and still have a lot of trouble who already was just like in love with Borderlands 2 it was exactly what I needed. But they, the, but they had to take time to ruin the mystery of Handsome Jack. Yeah. I... Uh, <laughs> watching... I know that you said that, all right, cool, done. I replayed that story so many times and watching his descent into madness is very satisfying because I am... This is a little deep so you can cut this out, but I am very um, worried constantly about like bad people. Like, why do they act that way? And so this explanation of, like, look at what happened, not in a way that makes him sympathetic, in a way that was like, yeah, no, he still sucks and he shouldn't have reacted that way. That's kind of what me and Austin talk about with the Joker movie coming up. Yeah, like, you should play Tales from the Board at some point, just because that game has some of the most... Which apparently reviewed very well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) That game has some of the most unexpected pathos. Oh, no, I meant the Joker movie reviewed very well. The Joker movie is reviewing very well, yeah. I want to see it. So I have... Basically, about... Um, Did you play the DLC as well? I played everything. Okay. All the time. So, the... <laughs> <laughs> Very many times. I played all. Very many times. So, I would like to, like, point out the pros of Borderlands the pre-sequel, despite it being so genuinely similar to Borderlands 2, there were new mechanics. There were new jumping mechanics. With the O2 kits, you could do you, boosted yeah, yeah, jumps. the low-grav shit. The characters were fun to play. I played more characters in the pre-sequel immediately. I played as all of them. The first one I played, the characters... Was Claptrap last? You could, you could tell Claptrap me. was last. I only ever characters. played that game as Claptrap. Oh, really? Okay. So you know. Oh, why? That game is so much better when you play as someone I mean, who I doesn't I suck. only played it as Claptrap as well. well to, Jesus, to get, into, God, to get into it, the reason I didn't like Border... It, I actually like the gameplay of it because it plays a lot more like 2, and the characters were cool. The story felt, to me, seeing I did not need to see Handsome Jack's Descent to Madness. I liked it better in when my head than what just... they wrote down. That's fair. And that game, shockingly enough, very similar to Bioshock 2, who the same studio now we oh, now that works on, where it's just like the gameplay was better. It was an iteration, and it was very yeah. similar, but it was still a little bit better. They added some quality of life stuff, but at the end of the day. It, the story just fleshed out something from the original game that I felt didn't need fleshing out. Sure. You said yeah. it uh, like you feel like it was unsaid and it could st- have said It was stayed. unnecessary to tell that story. So I can see that point of view, but as someone who, like, I don't know, I just think that but it hit fuck me. fuck you. It hit me all at the right time where it was like I was just getting into video games and just understanding the mechanics of a first-person shooter. Like, I learned FPS through sure. Borderlands because I liked the art and the humor so much that I was like, there's no fucking way I'm not playing this game. Like, yeah. I'll, I'm going to figure it out in my stupid peanut brain and, you know, <laughs> just, like, get it together and figure, like, play the game. So, I to sum it up a little bit, like, the positive things about Borderlands the pre-sequel were the... The name. Yeah. It's, it's cute. I mean, like... The name is funny. It's it's cool. Like, that is a great name. It is, yeah. In the pre-sequel with, like, the addition of 
the cryo element and yeah. all of the action skills and Lost trees planet. are fucking cool. Like in Borderlands 2, there are a couple characters where I'm like, yeah, I've played as them, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't go through. Yeah. But with the pre-sequel, I played through as every character. I the beat it as were every cool. character. And I think that that was a huge positive. And Claptrap was great to play as. Do you think people you, thought it was like a diminishing returns thing? You, maybe, got, you get to hear his internal monologue, which was the best part of the game. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Just like Break your fucking um, laptop. There there were a couple like smaller problems with it where like obviously people felt that it was just a lot of people claimed that it was just a cash grab because it was just And Destiny did the jumping better. Yeah, well (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for your input The Titan Jetpack is pre-sequels jumping (laughs) Anyway, the major issue besides like sort of some maps and level design issues was the season pass. Yeah. They sold the season pass marketing it as the season pass from Borderlands 2, which included two DLC characters to play as, four story DLCs, and headhunter packs, yeah. which were just like smaller DLCs. And what you got with the Borderlands pre-sequel season pass before 2K Australia shut down mm-hmm. Was the two playable characters, which were good. One DLC, the Claptastic Voyage, where you go inside of Claptrap's mind, and it honestly, it's fucking good. It is a good, fun DLC. The final boss spoilers, you beat him, and then he just like reappears and is like, fuck you, which I know a lot of games do, but the way it was done, like I remember being in that boss fight, and I remember just the fucking fear I felt when he came (laughs) back. But the, the issue was that it was there was only the one DLC and then a smaller holodome pack, which was basically just a fight arena that you did like five rounds of where mm-hmm. you had to fight. Yeah, I think the first game had something like that. Too. Yeah, they did. Uh, badass <clears throat> crater, badass arena. They, they yeah. do a lot of stuff like that, which is fun because that's conducive to that kind of game. But people paid thinking and being advertised that it was going to be like Borderlands 2's season pass and then it was not. And people... Don't like that. They are mad. Mm-hmm. Another controversy. <laughs> and then plus releasing the handsome collection like six months later instead yeah. of just it was like a good middle finger. Yeah, yeah. it was just like fuck but you, pay again, there's, pay us. There's, there's a couple reasons as to why the pre-sequel was not handled by Gearbox themselves. The main reason being that 2K wanted more Borderlands. But Gearbox wasn't owned by 2K, and they had other obligations, which I will now get to. Uh, um, <laughs> oh, boy, did they ever. And, yeah, it was released for 360 because they're like, we're not going to upgrade the engine and yeah. all this stuff. And also, Gearbox had spent the last, what would have been 2005 to 2012, seven years on Borderlands, and they, they wanted a break, Sure, I think. And the pre-sequel is kind of evidence of that, where it's just like too much of one, of a good thing is can be a bad thing. You it know. definitely shows that they were trying to just please 2K with it. Yeah. And like that doesn't make it a bad game, but it makes it it doesn't make it like it makes it not a good game. You yes. know what I mean? Like that's a weird, vague way it to makes put it. it. It makes it an okay game in a, f- a phenomenal series, which is <laughs> yeah. Issue. Which is why when they announced 3, they released the DLC for Borderlands 2 yeah. instead of tacking that's it onto the pre-sequel. True, that's true. Yeah, yeah, they did release new DLC um, for 2. Over but that. there were two projects that had Gearbox occupied so that they couldn't two focus on the pre-sequel. Two of some of the greatest games to ever 
Number one, Duke Nukem Forever. 1997. Now, let me preface this by saying... I don't have time to play with myself. (laughs) Duke Nukem Forever... Could absolutely warn its entire... ...has such a troubled development history that if you go on Wikipedia, normally where there is a development tab for a game, (laughs) it's just a link to an entire Wikipedia article. (laughs) Oh, that's how you know you're getting into the good shit. Um, But we're going to fast forward... Which we're talking... Is that on our list of things to cover? It is. I put it on there. I hate that game so (laughs) fucking much. So we'll Um, be doing a future episode on that. But we're going to cover... We're going to cover Gearbox's Gearbox's part in that game. Yeah. For now, and then when we inevitably do that episode, that this will come up again. But mm-hmm. all I'm gonna say is, oh, and then you're gonna be like, listen to episode blah 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 about exactly. Randy. It's I true. Do, yeah, I do yeah. that a lot. Oh, <laughs> I'm a legacy <laughs> now. Randy Pitchford <laughs> was able to save that game <laughs> from becoming just a piece of gaming history. It should have stayed. It should have stayed vaporware. Fucking, but, yeah. No and Half-Life 3, prob- but we got Duke Duke forever. Everybody. The problem here <laughs> is, is his quote on the matter, which I will now read. Is yeah. that the, always the problem? Yes. The dude's got his job. He was able to business his way into saving a game that he held dear because he worked on the original Duke Nukem. So yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. But here is his quote. I put it all together in a nice package and brought it to Christopher Hartman, 2K's president. Nice package. And told him what I'd done. I and told said, him, "Hold on, I'm on the phone with the NBA." <laughs> I told him that I had leveraged my my knowledge of a brand I'd worked on before and the trust that both Scott and George have in me, the two guys that founded 3D Realms, mm-hmm. and the team has in me, and my own studio's credibility and expertise, along with our ability to ship games on all platforms. I brought all of this to Take Two, since Take Two owns all the publishing rights to Duke Nukem. It's obvious that they want nothing more than for this game to be great. It's kind of serendipitous that my studio got strong enough to help out. I mean, we've been so fortunate. The success of Borderlands, our Brothers in Arms games, and the things we did in Half-Life. We've been so fortunate and successful enough to be in a position to help. Help! I can't tell if that sentence is articulated or it's just like, or it's just like Trumpian plus. It could be read either way because the whole thing is like, well, I mean, I, I left 3D Realms after Duke Nukem 3D came out, and they fell to shit, but my company took it's, off, yeah, so I was good. able to we're save them. Such but a good company. You know that's, yeah. that's kind of a running theme with Randy Pitchford is him being just like, well, look at me. Look at what I did. Well, that's the thing. Duke Nukem Forever totally seems like an amalgamation of his personality. Well, exactly. Like, you, were saying, <laughs> you were saying like he held it dear to his heart. He held the you know the IP. Yeah. Which I believe. Yeah. And, no, I believe it too, and I understand why he would want to be like... There was a time why, where like, Duke Nukem was important. I understand when you just think about him making relevant. the decision. Y- it's yeah. like, I worked on this, I feel emotions about this, or whatever, and... I would like to, you know, bring it into this into this year. I mean, the, I would that, like to that bring it back quote, and help. That it. whole quote can be summed up with like, "It came out." Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like, but should it have? No. Well, <laughs> no. It's like, it's important though. You remember in 3D when you'd shoot at the stripper stage full of the big cop people? That was like. I mean, the thing about the thing about Duke Nukem Forever, and and I'll make this quick, was that when the original when Duke Nukem 3D came out, they added personality to a protagonist, and in a way that most shooters from that era did not 
feature. So, like, the thing about, like, Wolfenstein and, and 3D and, like, Doom are fucking great, but, like, those characters aren't really characters. Duke Nukem was fully voiced, for better or for worse, and, like, the environments were, like, fully interactive, and they had really wacky weapons, the things that they did for multiplayer. And then when they tried to modernize that, you're just like, oh, like, this does not work anymore. Yeah. Like, this is just yeah, dumb and, and gross and And that's what I'm terrible. saying is, like, if you think about just Randy Pitchford making that decision, duh, of course he would want that. Sure. But did he not have, like, a team of people or anybody to be like, hey, this just isn't going to work the way you want it to? I think it's no, a thing to be like... it's a matter of just making a video game. There's only one people who have done modernizing an arcade video game right... And it's doom. They yeah, just I, they yes, just put their hands the... on the pedal of of cartoonizing almost arcade video games in the modern era, yeah. and it worked out. Like it yeah. really did. They took like they took a concept that was just like it was innovative for its time. You know, sorry, this is not good podcast medium, but just like yeah, yeah. Sh- sh- uh, uh. <laughs> and they turned that into like this fucking insane, wacky fucking yes. mind trip of a fucking DMB based yeah. song turned into a fucking video game. Yeah. And I don't think Duke Nukem pushed the envelope so enough no, to be like, that. Yeah, it's know? like, do you think? I think Giant Bomb proposed the question of could Duke Nukem as a character and as a franchise get its 2016 Doom treatment in some way? And it's just like, it takes a writer. And, and developers, like, it takes design people smarter than us to figure that out. Because, yeah. I, to be honest, I don't, <laughs> think, I don't think so. Maybe I not. I think the challenge is not even that Gearbox fumbled it. It's just that, like, they got into it and they were like, fuck, this ain't easy. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of fumbles, Austin, take us to their next uh, fucking rousing okay. success. Got so it, now we wait. move from Duke Nukem and we're going to go back to earlier in the podcast when I mentioned... The Aliens license being put into Gearbox's hands. At least hands. they got back on track after they this horseshit. They did make a good Aliens game, because they helped with that Aliens Infestation DS game. That oh, was good. yeah. Um, okay. But... I never played that. Uh, it was uh, alright. Yeah, like I said, it was announced in 2006, 2007-ish area that mm-hmm. Sega had gotten the rights to Aliens, and then Gearbox was meant to make an Aliens game. The idea actually came from a chance encounter at a party between Gearbox creative director Brian Martell and alien director Ridley Scott. That's crazy. Uh, the idea <laughs> was to make a direct sequel to Aliens and make it an FPS. Okay. And thus, Alien Colonial Marines was born. Um, Wait, was Aliens... Aliens is the sequel to Alien, the more action. No, 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 I meant, is the Alien Predator Marine game, was that prior to this? I thought that was. That was, yeah, that was like a Jaguar... That game was incredible. Yeah, I know, it's great, but that's... That's a first-person game, It is, but that was much more based around, like... But this was to make a story game. Gotcha, that was very arcade-y. That was very, like, yeah, that was Um, much more competitive multiplayer thing. Yeah, it was fucking great. (laughs) I'm going to... I think Randy's going to talk about the quality of the game itself when I'm done getting through this, but I'm just going to go right into the controversy <laughs> yeah, of the whole yeah. thing. Because, oh boy, is it a doozy. It's fun. The game was announced by Sega in 2007, Aliens Colonial Marines, alongside an Aliens RPG made by Obsidian, uh, yeah. which never came out. No. But at this time, both Obsidian and Gearbox had not even started on the projects yeah. when Sega <laughs> announced it. Sega was that excited about owning the Aliens license. Uh, Sega um, has a history of just <laughs> announcing things before they should be announced. Yeah, uh, true. Uh, Isn't there a hot button episode if, about if that? If Sega of America is involved, I don't know. If yeah. this... I don't know what the miscommunication here exactly was, but Sega, later on, a year later in 2008, 
went to Gearbox to see what progress they had made, and Gearbox was like, nothing, you gave us the license a year ago, <laughs> and Sega canceled the game. Oh. Uh, but... There's a lot more to it than that. What do you mean it's not that. done? Hold on. <laughs> Sega. It's been a year since hey, we yeah. announced but, it without bro, talking to you. Bro, it takes a you. month to draw a concept art. Uh, yeah. Relax. Sega. We got this chair that we... <laughs> Sega did not just cancel it because it wasn't done. Sega accused Gearbox of taking money from them Woof. to pay their employees and then shifting those employees that they paid to make aliens over to Borderlands because Borderlands was more important to them. Got that sweet alien Might money. be accurate. Well, no. I'm, sure, I'm, alien sure alien was, I'm sure it was take priority. Some, some, you know, there's some dark work there. I, I wouldn't uh -huh. say it was maliciously doing it, but they were probably like, well, we got the money. We can do aliens. We don't need you. Let's get some people over here. You just happen to be getting paid well, by the package we got from Sega. <laughs> so Gearbox came up with a solution. Which will go down as one of the worst solutions in gaming history. <laughs> uh, they convinced Sega to uncancel the game, but Gearbox was still focused on Borderlands, and then later Borderlands Two. So they gave what they had at, in 2008, which was practically nothing, a couple of models, a couple of concept arts. That chair I mentioned. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and they they outsourced it to another studio, Houston-based TimeGate Studios. No fucking clue. To continue work on the game. Now. We're going to flash forward. None of this was known. None of this was made public. TimeGate Studios name, not on the game. It just says Sega and Gearbox. That, okay, that's why I was confused. I'm like yeah. literally Googling them right now. Uh, when the game came out, it came out. They helped make uh, the Gearbox, expansions for fear. Yeah. Gearbox had outsourced the work, and Sega flat out denied this. And then, like a couple days later, I thought I remember. I'm sorry, I didn't mean. I was working at GameStop at the time. I remember this. Yeah, but go. They did that uh, Section Eight game. He, he, yeah, that's what they were working on at the time. This was immediately refuted by Randy Pitchford, who said Houston-based TimeGate Studios worked on probably about twenty to twenty-five percent of the total time w worked on Aliens. He said, if you take pre-production out of it, their efforts probably equivalent to ours. Now, it's not fair to take pre-production out of it, but that's to say a lot about how much horsepower those guys put into it. What? So he's saying that, like, yeah. they helped out. <clears throat> it wasn't just Gearbox, but it was mostly Gearbox. Okay. Uh, a former Gearbox employee then took to Reddit, uh -huh. and I am going to read this quote. It is almost a page of my script, so... Yeah, don't I worry. love when that happens. Let me go through. Up. Uh, I'm ready. A former Gearbox employee took to Reddit uh, to say the following. Somehow, the schedules for PCAN, the codename for Aliens Marines, internally, and Borderlands 2 managed to line up, and Gearbox realized that there was no fucking way that they could certain ship two titles at the same time. Additionally, Campaign, which was being developed by TimeGate, was extremely far behind. Even as PCAN's beta deadline got closer and closer, in April or May, I can't remember which, PCAN was supposed to be in beta, but Gearbox instead <coughs> came to an agreement with Sega that they would push the release date back one more time, buying Gearbox another nine months extension. About five of those nine months went into shipping Borderlands 2. In that time, TimeGate had managed to scrap together 85% of the campaign, but once Borderlands 2 shipped and Gearbox turned its attention to Pecan, it became pretty apparent that what had been made was in a pretty horrid state. <laughs> campaign didn't make any sense, the boss fights weren't implemented, and the PS3 was over the memory limit and couldn't run. Uh, <laughs> oh Gearbox was pretty unhappy with TimeGate's work, and some of the campaign maps were just completely redesigned from scratch. There were some last-minute feature requests, most notably female Marines, and the general consensus Whoops. among Gearbox devs 
was that there was no way this game was going to be good to ship. There just wasn't enough time. Considering that Sega was pretty close to taking legal action against Gearbox, asking for an extension was no longer an option. And so PCAN crash-landed through certification and shipping. Features that were planned were oversimplified, shoved in. A good example of this are the challenges, which are in incredibly illogical order. <laughs> Issues that didn't cause 100% blockers were just ignored, with the exception of absolutely horrible game-breaking problems. This isn't because Gearbox didn't care, mind you. At a certain point, they couldn't risk changing anything that might cause them to fail certification or break any systems. And so the product you see is what you get. Initially, what this sounds like is Gearbox obviously wanted to focus on Borderlands 2. They knew what this game was going to be. There's very no, lifeless. There's no way you don't sit on that kind game. of game that you're developing <clears throat> and not understand what it's going to be. Just the immediate impact that the game made on all of us should be evidence enough that the people making it knew that Borderlands was going to be an incredibly successful game. They but, probably yeah. focused a lot of their time on it. I guarantee you, probably Pitchford or somebody involved at the top of Gearbox bit off more than they can chew. Yeah. They licensed it out to a company that was ill-prepared. That's the thing. What do you share to their... they had to fucking bite the bullet like, what for What do you share to yeah. their parent company and shareholders? Like, uh, like uh, Warner Brothers, like the, like the Aliens license is... I, I don't know. Like, they... I will get to that. Okay. <laughs> but I will get to that. Okay. No, it just, it just... There's a level of expectation around this... It's also... ...product that was not... Getting... And I don't know if you're going to talk about this, but to this day, Randy Pitchford speaks just weirdly about the whole there. game. Very off there. the chain. Yeah. Okay, so flash forward a little bit. There's another Reddit post, this time from a former employee of TimeGate. TimeGate, who is no longer a company, shut down after this whole fiasco. Of course. Uh, yeah. yeah, surprise. Gearbox, <laughs> Gearbox just taking other companies and putting them in the dirt. Uh, kind of like what Valve did to them. Yeah. Uh, just to clarify, <laughs> this is from a former TimeGate dev. Just to clarify, everything TimeGate did was under clear and explicit direction from Gearbox. Gearbox had created control of everything that occurred at TimeGate. In addition, Gearbox was responsible for firing some of the most talented people and internationally recognized as such TimeGate had employed, all of which were snatched up immediately by our competitors. It was Gearbox's shitty oversight of the project that led to the product you all now have before you. I wouldn't expect you to understand, considering you're probably some QA who has no idea what goes on outside of his department, but TimeGate has absolutely no right, control chill. over what was produced. They did exactly what they were asked to. You should be furious with Gearbox for assigning such shit quality creative directors to our project. There was also a lot of talk about how the script being incredibly confusing was all 20th Century Fox's fault. I played that game. It was confusing. <laughs> they apparently approved. They, they were given that script, and they were like, yeah, this is Aliens. We approve. Um, the game was also shown off in a completely fake press demo that looked good. I think you was, can still find this. Yes. I think you can watch it. Yeah. yeah. But it was running on high-end PCs. Was this Sega's high-render trailer thing? I think so. It okay. might have been, yeah. But, again, the game wasn't running on consoles at all, and in order to get the game out in time and get it running on the consoles, the game's particle effects and shaders were decreased significantly in quality, and the textures were reduced in order to get them to fit into the PS3's memory. Oh, my God! <laughs> as TimeGate could not get it working at all on PlayStation 3. Yeah. Yeah, we were watching a video earlier where... Yeah, I was just about to talk yeah, about that. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, so... I was watching this guy on YouTube, Yang Ye, I think is his name or whatever, but he was covering a lot of like 
Randy Pitchford and just like how he's dealt with these controversies, just like in 10 minute videos or whatever. <laughs> Not well. Yeah. And I watched the IGN interview also. Obviously, I brought it up before. So what happened was like Randy got asked about that. Sorry, Mr. Pitchford, Sir Pitchford <laughs> got asked about. He was knighted. <laughs> yeah, right. He was asked about about that game in that interview, and originally he was like, you, like all the things you said, like not given enough time. They announced it before we were ready, and then literally up next to it while he's saying like not given enough time, it's like six and a half years in development. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's that. so it's like it's diverting funds and resources, and I get that. That makes sense, especially with Borderlands. You know. Yeah. Randy Pitchford said like, there's YouTube videos out there where it shows the demo versus the <clears throat> final and those yeah. are just that's just like dumb shit well, yeah, like it was just specifically it was just like stupid bullshit I think is what well, yeah, he said specifically when you just said that they had to t- tone down the fucking textures and stuff there's a video where a guy's walking through a tunnel and it collapses and a marine is flying through the air and slams on the top of the tunnel and he's blood splatters and it creates a glass shattering effect and the body bounces off then as you're running through the tunnel the pressure from the tunnel condensing in out of space is fucking shattering the glass yeah. and <laughs> And you watch the actual gameplay version, and the body just slams, and there's just blood. Yeah. No, no glass oh, yeah. effect. So, no glass shattering. Like, they had to right, minimize so, no, but, those particle effects. Like, yeah. It's funny to see the actual... Well, like, Pitchford, Pitchford speaks specifically about that in the interview. Really? And, says, yeah, that, that and says, like, the demo versus final, where... <laughs> that does happen shattering. with games no, a lot. He's saying, but... he's saying, like, he says it was an artistic he choice. He said it was an artistic choice. He just <laughs> says, and, like, you watch the final footage, and the body still hits it, and the blood yeah. still comes out, and it looks so, so dumb without the glass so shattering. I'm not, yeah, so I'm not sure if bad. you mentioned, Austin, but uh, Aliens Clothing Marines eventually did come out in 2011. Yes. That was, yeah. So what's interesting is what you brought up earlier about the Game Informer cover story with Borderlands 1. I don't know if anybody remembers this at the time, but I was I was a big Alien fan. I, I liked that first movie a whole lot. I think that franchise has been super up and down, but for the most part, it's a world I that I think is like interesting. Predator. <laughs> but when that cover story came out about Colonial Marines, I think it was right after the, the new generation of consoles launch this is mm-hmm. maybe 06 07 like that like i don't remember would that was... be the 360 and the 2007 okay so w- that had all of these screenshots in it that were like this is gameplay and it and it, it was almost like a kill zone 2 situation where i don't know if it was manipulated or photoshopped this. or from this early version that changed but at the time that was a, like people were showing passing those screenshots around of like this is what the next generation is fucking capable of it's crazy and up for pre-order forever and all that stuff but yeah when the game came out eventually it was a fucking broken mess and not only that but it, it had so many graphical downgrades as evident by these quotes and yeah and funds being diverted and all that stuff and it's kind of a shame because i you know i mean eventually alien as a property did get i think it's respected release years later with isolation that was the probably true, one of the best games of that, that whole console that, generation yeah that was the true um solution to this but the, i think there was even a um prior to that but after Clooney marines a sort of reboot of alien vs predator on the 360 and yeah. ps3 as well and i don't remember thinking much of that either but yeah, I mean now Colonial Marines is going to go down as like Duke Nukem, for, Duke Nukem Forever as being one of the most longest and troubled developments with a final product that did yes. not review or sell particularly. And well. um, Aliens Colonial Marines is going to be the end 
of part one. Yeah. And the reason I decided to end it there is because Randy Pitchford obviously messed up a lot, but we originally designed this episode to be about Randy Pitchford's sort of social media flubs. <laughs> the social media flubs, I've, I've read a couple quotes from him that were not exactly the best, but the social media flubs didn't really start until their next game, Battleborn, which we will get into, <sighs> but Aliens Colonial Marines is kind of the end of Gearbox fucking up and the start of like... Just Randy Pitchford just kind of being dumb. Yeah, we're breaking yeah. into the modern era yeah. sort of now. And, like, the thing is, like, in the same breath as Randy Pitchford will say, like, blame everybody else for any failure in yeah. that game, he will also stand by it and said, look, I'm proud of what yeah. we did. Like, that kind of thing. I mean, and it's, it's hard to... It's it's easy to forget the hype and disappointment around a lot of these earlier games just because yeah. of how quickly the industry moves on. Mm-hmm. But That's fair. But, yeah, but on our next episode where we're going to get deep into Battleborn and the development of Borderlands 3, that's where it's going to... But first... Tie into... I'm going to end this episode with a clip. Yeah. Now, this clip is the clip... That, was, that went viral when Aliens Colonial Marines came out. Is this an uh, explanation for the game's quality? No. Okay. This is an interview <laughs> Randy Pitchford did with GameSpot about the game before it came out. Ooh. And this clip being shared after the game came out would transfer him from eccentric game creator into Reddit's worst enemy and one of the most hated game people. <laughs> so on so he went from Hideo Kojima to Peter Molyneux in just this interview? In this one clip. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, let's yeah. hit it. <laughs> so you have to be, um, you know, careful and respect the authenticity of the, the universe. Uh, and, and in many regards, what's already been created gives us a lot to work with. But we've also been able to have fun adding to it. And I think the biggest advantage that this game gets, uh, because it's Gearbox software building it, is we're not settling. You know, like a lot of games based on licenses, they become kind of work for hire projects just milking a franchise. You know, when, when Gearbox works in other people's space, it's because we love that space and we want to. When you think about a video game manifestation of the Aliens franchise, of course, you imagine, you know, the, the big right. actions. <laughs> That's the important part yeah, of the Yeah, he's quote. like, yo, dog, this is going to be like Goldeneye. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it's like, even if he's going to be like, yeah, I'll, uh, even if he's going to say anything along the lines of like, yeah, the development wasn't the way I wanted it to be. It wasn't the way we wanted it to be. We Th- I mean, this is prior to tools. the game launch. Like, there's nothing wrong with speaking highly of your company and of your no, project. No, there's nothing inherently but... wrong with the clip. It's just in context. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, no microtransactions in Aliens Colonial Marines. <laughs> there was a season pass. There was. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was just tying into yeah, current know, events. <laughs> but um, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah I'll do the I'll do the wrap up. Yeah. Thank you for listening. A lot of research went into this episode. Thanks, Mel. As you can tell, for joining us. Yeah. Uh, and we be and she will be back next week for part two, where we start diving into just how much Randy Pitchford should not have a Twitter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, as long as uh, with more personal uh, sort of interjections yes. uh, and with our can, experience with these games. A lot of emotions. You can follow us on here. all the social medias, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Hot Button Cast. We have a website, hotbuttoncast.com. You can go there and find all our episodes if this is somehow the first one you're discovering. We are probably currently playing Borderlands 3 as you are listening to this. because this While is being you recorded are also playing Borderlands 3. <laughs> yeah, this is being recorded before the game came out. 
I hope, God, I hope it's good. Um, but <laughs> I'll, I'll cry if it's not. Yeah, but I mean, uh, not. yeah, you we'll can see. you can also find and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play, on all those services. I got one joke, Jason. You can cut it out. Sorry. <laughs> That's a good way to preface it. Your no, I know. <laughs> if you've been uh, listening to this podcast, waiting for us to talk about Borderlands Three and prep for the release, then you're just gonna have to wait till next week. Yes. It's, uh, get it's through. Pretty, it's... Get through Borderlands Three in the week. Wait for our next episode, You'll and, then, it, and then, but, then get yeah, into the demo. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's just like Randy Pitchford's E3 presentation for Borderlands Three saved all the good shit for the end. So. Yeah. <laughs> all right. And with that, we're out. Good night. <laughs>